it's almost like we recreate that. And I think we, I don't even know if it's almost like we recreate chaos Mm -hmm. that was there for us when we were children. Mm -hmm. We recreate it in the fucking most confusing ways, but it's giving us that comfort. That chaos is fucking comfortable. Yeah. Right. The dysfunction. What's the chemicals, right? That's the thing that's really mind blowing. That was really mind blowing to me is like, I understand with like drugs and alcohol, at least it's like somewhat of a euphoric high, but like when it comes to this shit, it's like, we are like addicted. We crave like these horrible feelings. Yes. Like it's so sick. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And it makes sense because that's what we know. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you, I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. Have you ever met someone that feels like they've been your overnight camp bunkmate for several years? My guest, Andrea Ashley, is that for me. Listen in as we stay up past lights out under our blankets with a flashlight on as we talk all things connection, disconnection, dysfunction, what it means to be an adult child, including a laundry list of characteristics. A CPA by trade, Andrea is everything beyond the numbers. Listen for real, raw truth that's fueled by hope, self-compassion, and reflection. This one is better than a bonfire and s'mores, and it's here, right now, in the Trauma Hiders Club. Andrea, I'm so glad you're here. Ditto. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So interesting sort of moment. I reached out to Andrea in November, like right around Thanksgiving and hello trauma response, like completely blew off the follow-up, reached out. She was like, hell yes. And I disappeared. So that is sort of a pattern. Yeah. I get it in the same way. Yeah. I know. I feel like an asshole. You know what I do too, is I'll go through my emails to find messages from like from listeners. I mean, I'm like, I like replied like six, like nine months later. I'm like, Mm. I'm sorry, (laughs) but I do. I try to, I try to respond to every single damn person. Nice. 
Really nice. I created a separate mailbox. I don't even know if like my listeners know that to just put it somewhere else. I had this assumption or an assertion, I'm not sure which one, that people would want to spill their trauma in a place and put it in a safe place. Didn't necessarily mean that we were going to do something with it, but they wanted to say it. So I do have Mm -hmm. a mailbox. And in fact, we'll put it in the show notes because I don't want to give anybody the wrong address. It's something like dumpyourshit.com. Dumpyourshit.com. And it even has a box like, do you want support? Or are, did you just want to dump your shit? So, yeah. 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 There's like, do you need support is right. one box. And then do you want support is a different box. <laughs> right. <And> often it's <laughs> often the need. Yes. Want. No. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Story of my life. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, but you are here and we're doing the thing and this is awesome. So yes. here you are in the trauma hiders club. What? don't you want us to know about you? God, what do I not want you to know about me? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty much an open book. I'm trying to think what would be something that I really don't like sharing about. I've shared this a little bit on my podcast, but like for one thing for me, and, and we can get into my story, you know, I used to be so obsessed and consumed with finding a husband, getting married. It was like my life purpose. (laughs) It's not that way anymore, but I do feel like I haven't gotten to a place where like, if that didn't happen, that I would be okay. And maybe that's, maybe that's okay. Yeah. You know, I, you hear people say like, oh, once, once you get to the place where you'll just be happy if you're single for the rest of your life, like that's when you meet your person. And I don't know, but maybe it's, maybe it's a natural desire, you know, like, yes, it's not an obsession, but maybe it's unrealistic to think that I get to a place where like, I don't have that desire. Maybe that's just unrealistic. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a beautiful one to take a look at, right? Because you were making it your purpose Mm -hmm. to find a husband. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And as you begin to let go of that, that doesn't mean that you don't want that. It just means that perhaps there are other things that have replaced that purpose. And the desire doesn't change. It's that that is part of the bigger vision. It's not the purpose. No. And I guess what I should say to be more honest is that I haven't gotten to a place where I feel like if that were to never happen to me, I don't want to say I wouldn't be happy, like that that would be I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess in a way, like I have a hard time believing that if that never were to happen to me, that life wouldn't be the way I hope it turns out to be, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. So what I hear you saying is I want to be married. Yeah. I want to have a relationship. Yeah. One day. I mean, I don't need it right now, but yeah, that is something that I desire. Okay. I get that in our world, maybe that's not a cool thing to say anymore. Mm -hmm. And I get it. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that part of of my reason for listening. Just all their boners just deflated. So, (laughs) (laughs) or the opposite might be boner city, right? Like, Ooh, there's a woman who's working on herself. Oh yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I 
was connected to you through Joe Ryan and Joe was on my show. I don't even know. Sometime, I think it was over the summer of last year of 2021. And he said, you have to talk to Andrea. So part of my conversation with Joe was around childhood trauma, who we be, who we be, <laughs> who we be. I love that. That's yeah. what I feel. I say that shit. Who we be. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how that carries on with us and what we do about it, right? Like, what do we do about it other than like, <laughs> look the other way. So with, with the work that you do and the conversations that you have, mm-hmm. what shows up for you that was present in your childhood as an adult? Mm-hmm. So I've been sober for 13 years and... So I'll tell you my kind of like childhood trauma, aha journey. I call it the tale of two Brian's. I dated two Brian's back to back and two alcoholics named Brian back to back active alcoholics named Brian back to back. And I was a sober alcoholic actively in 12 steps and everything, (laughs) (laughs) but it was through those two relationships that I finally came to terms with the true impact that my, my upbringing had on me. So, you know, I suffered from broken picker syndrome as a lot of people do. (laughs) Can you define that? Tell us what that is. Yeah. I have a broken man picker, you know, and I think that most people when they enter sobriety also have broken pickers, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't typically enter sobriety with like high self-esteem and a plethora of healthy relationship experience. So that's not unique. But what I saw happen was that my friends who I got sober with, who also entered the program with broken pickers, I saw their pickers improve and I saw them find themselves in happy, healthy relationships with partners who treated them the way that they deserve to be treated. And that was not the case for me. Not only was like my picker not improving, but the way that I was reacting in each relationship, the way that I felt, the way that I thought, the way that I behaved, the way that I handled it when the relationship ended, got worse and worse every time. And I couldn't figure out what the fuck was wrong with me. And I would end each relationship and make promises to myself that I would do things differently the next time, that I would not ignore red flags. And I had been completely incapable of doing so. And so I dated Brian number one and that relationship lasted less than a month. (laughs) And this person clearly had a drinking problem. And when he broke up with me or he kind of ghosted me, I literally wanted to die. Like I was not suicidal, but I was like, if this is what life is like at seven years sober, like, what is the point? Mm. And I had a, you know, like a panic attack at work. I had to go home. My mom had to come out and stay with me for a week. I was completely incapable of living life. And it was in that moment during that heartbreak, well, it's not even heartbreak, during that, what I soon learned to be trauma response, um, I had my first aha moment when I realized that there was no way that the way that I was feeling could have anything to do with this guy. Like I had known him for less than a month and my reaction was if my husband of 50 years just randomly died in a plane crash, (laughs) you know, it was just not realistic. And then the second aha I had was, this is the feeling that I felt often as a child. 
And I, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home and, you know, I developed pretty severe separation anxiety with my mom around the age of, I guess, eight. And it was that exact same feeling, that same feeling that I would feel when I would try to go to a sleepover and couldn't, or, you know, just this intense panic, this feeling like I was going to die. And so um, about a month after that realization, I was at a 12 step meeting and I heard this woman who had over 30 years of sobriety. And she was talking about how at seven years sober, which was the same as me at the time about how she had hit this emotional bottom due to relationship. And that it was through that relationship that she had come to terms with the true impact of her childhood. And she mentioned this book, adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. I go home, I read the book. My mind is blown. Everything that I'd felt, I'd thought finally I'm reading it on paper. And it helped confirm my suspicions that the way that I was feeling the issues in my romantic relationships were actually rooted in childhood. So the next week I go to the meeting and I see her there. I run up to her afterwards and I go, oh my God, your share impacted me so much. I read this book, it blew my mind. And she's like, Andrea, uh, that's great. But I just want you to know that just reading that book is not going to be enough to do the trick. Like this is your life's work. This is going to take years. It's going to take years of therapy. And I just thought, I don't have years, lady. I do not have years, lady. I am 28. I'm a senior citizen. (laughs) I need to have this shit fixed yesterday or at most in a couple, in a couple months. And I just really hope that her childhood was way more fucked up than mine. (laughs) Clearly, right. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll take, I'll take a year off from dating. I'll read this book and surely that will be enough. And what I like to say on my podcast is just like learning you have cancer doesn't make the cancer go away. Learning that I, my dating issues were rooted in childhood. That was not sufficient to produce any sort of internal shift. And so enter Brian number two at nine years sober. And uh, not only had I not improved, it seemed like I had only gotten worse, you know? And that relationship, those six months of this relationship was the most painful six months of my entire life. I reached new depths of pain. I felt crazier Mm. and acted crazier than ever. I was acting in all the same ways that I had during active alcoholism. Mm. It was at the end of that relationship that I realized that that woman was right, that I had to take this just as seriously as my alcoholism. And that in fact, not only was this as powerful as my alcoholism, that perhaps it's even more powerful. Mm -hmm. And that in fact, I had always known that drinking was just a symptom, but what I came to see was that my alcoholism was just a symptom of this, of what I believe to be, you know, the disease of family dysfunction and complex trauma. And so that was in January of 2018 was when I, I realized that I had to go to any, like it was non-negotiable. I'm really grateful for that. Like, I, I think that there's so many people out there that are adult children that have complex trauma, but it comes in varying degrees. And I'm really grateful that mine was so extreme that I literally had no choice, but to, to face it head on, Mm -hmm. you know, my life depended on it. Yeah. So how did you face that? What came next? So I got a, I got a really fucking good therapist. So I had, I had worked with a therapist for years who helped me in many, many ways, but this was not her area of expertise. And I had had a lot of people reach out to me and say, you need to get somebody new. And it's like, I didn't want to start over. 
it takes so long. Like, I feel like, oh my God, I have to catch you up on so much before you can even begin to help me. But I did, I, I Googled adult children of alcoholic therapists and I found my therapist and this woman fucking has saved my life. And I saw her for twice a week for the first year and a half. You know, I still see her once a week and you know, there's other things that I've done like meetings and readings and stuff like that. But truly the therapy has been, you know, the biggest component of it. And I'm just blown away at, at the transformation that has occurred, you know, and it's what has made me so passionate about this topic, because I think the recovery, uh, the transformation that can occur when we look at this faulty childhood programming and kind of you know, clear that away and, and find our authentic selves. I just think that there's nothing more powerful than that. Like it truly is like the biggest blessing ever to, to have the opportunity to do that in my opinion. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So you found the right person one having identified like what is the core, right? What is the core (laughs) shit and fuckery that's going on here? That's number one. And then being able to use that phrase, even to fucking Google that is incredible. So here you find the right person, finding the right person, glorious. However, there's the part of you, right? You're the one who has to do the work, right? Because we don't go to therapy for our therapist to tell us shit in a lecture. It's we bring the energy, we bring the agenda, we bring the stuff. So you go and I'm curious, for some reason, my curiosity is like going to, what was the worst part? Um, But that's not really what the question is. The question is where, I'm just bringing myself into this. So my experience is initially, while I want to create a change, my go-to is to resist. Even like, I'm like, hell yes, I got my hand up, sign me up, how much, you know, whatever it costs, I'm there. And then I resist. Did you have that experience? Shockingly, no. Okay. (laughs) You were, that was your readiness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, too, like I've... (sighs) You know, I got sent to a therapist for the first time at nine. I got sent to rehab for the first time in the eighth grade. You know, I got sober at 19. But no, I was just in so much pain. And here's the thing, too. I wasn't in denial about what I had experienced. Yeah. I was in denial about how much it had actually impacted me. I was never under the impression that like, my childhood was perfect or that my parents were perfect. Like I knew it was less than ideal, but I also knew that other kids had experienced much worse. Like I never was subjected to physical or sexual abuse. So I thought truly how bad could it have been, you know? So it wasn't like, I was just like totally like head in the sand. It was like really quite, yeah. It was surprising to me to finally realize, oh, wow. Like, And so for me, I was like, let's do it. Like, let's go. Like, I'm ready to do this. Um, And honestly, it obviously it takes time period. Right. And I still have a lot more work to do, but no, surprisingly, there was never really any of that. Okay. I, yeah, I hear that. So your, your life experience has led you to this moment, right? You've had a lot of shedding 
shit opportunities. I guess, I guess there are opportunities, experiences Mm -hmm. along the way. So you are right. Like you are someone who is like, so fucking ready. What would you say when you look back at your pre-therapy versus today, what would we, if we could go back, what would we see you doing that was unresolved? Like that's Andrea unresolved. So for me, I mean, it really just showed up in relationships for me. Okay. That was the thing too. That was like a little bit of a mind fuck for me was that when I would get over the heartbreak, which, and like I say, like, let's be honest, it takes like five times the amount of like the actual relationship to get over it. But once that would happen, I would feel good. You know, I would feel comfortable in my own skin. I had friends and I would go into that, that next relationship really feeling good about Andrea and really feeling confident that I was going to do things differently. And it's amazing just how quickly, like there's this, um, there's an amazing book. It's called the abandonment, abandonment trauma workbook or abandonment recovery workbook. And it talks about how that abandonment wound when it's not healed, that like, it doesn't matter what we do, you know, to whatever we put in there, like essentially, like as soon as that gets triggered, it's like, it gets ripped off. And then all of our self-esteem and all of our self-worth just gets like siphoned away. And it would just be amazing how like immediately, as soon as I got into a relationship, my mind, my peace of mind would just be hijacked instantaneously. Mm. And I'm also lucky too, that I was never somebody that hopped from one to the next. Like I would have significant periods of time in between relationships, but yeah, as soon as I got into a relationship, I was high, my mind was hijacked and I went into a trauma response and my mood was completely dictated based off how I felt the really, if I felt secure, I was a 10. If I felt insecure in a relationship, I was at a zero. There was nothing in between constantly in a hypervigilant state wait, you know, like overanalyzing shit, like, oh, he, he put a a period instead of an exclamation point, obviously he's about to break up with me, you know? And, and the other thing too, was like, I couldn't understand how people could like go to work and like turn that shit off, Mm. but I couldn't, it consumed me. And that's because I was in a trauma response and I didn't realize that, but yeah, I mean, I became a shitty friend Um, I stopped doing the things that I loved. You know, I stopped working out. I would stop going to meetings. I would smoke. It was just, it was misery. It was just Mm. misery. Cancel on friends at the drop of the hat. If if a guy wanted to be with me. Yeah. I just lost myself. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Right. It's, it's almost like we recreate that. And I think we, I don't even know if it's almost like we recreate chaos. Mm Mm-hmm that was there for us when we were children, mm-hmm. we recreate it in the fucking most confusing ways, but it's giving us that comfort. That chaos is fucking comfortable. Yeah. Right. The dysfunction. What's the chemicals, right? That's the thing that's really mind blowing. That was really mind blowing to me. Yeah. Is like, I understand with like drugs and alcohol, at least it's like somewhat of a euphoric high. But like when it comes to this shit, it's like we are like addicted. We crave like these sh- horrible feelings. Yes. Like it's so sick. Yeah. <laughs> you yes. know? Yeah. And it makes sense because that's what we know. Exactly. So our body wants to go back to what it knows. Anything like I know. peace and love 
and surrender and quiet and all of that, that becomes a threat. I know. All of that is a threat. And yet, right. It's what it's leap. I've done my life's work to create is all of that working against my own perceived threats. Yes. And before realizing that that's what's going on, I mean, the amount of shame that I felt, you know, yes. like just this belief that like, I'm so pathetic, you know, I'm just unfixable and inherently flawed. And so, like you said, like, finally having like the realization, like, oh my God, like I'm not crazy. Well, I am crazy, but you know what I mean? I'm not inherently flawed that like I'm suffering from, from trauma. I literally, I think that we're powerless. Like we are powerless over those reactions when we have unresolved trauma. Like I I feel like it's very much the same as like active alcoholism and addiction. I was powerless over how I reacted when I got into relationships because I had this unresolved trauma. So yeah, like realizing what the hell was going on with me, it was just such a blessing, such a blessing. Yeah. So when it comes to you in the world now, Mm -hmm. so before we would see this sort of creating of chaos and attachment and and euphoria and delusion in a way, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) These words are without judgment. None taken. (laughs) Yeah. So- we're going to zoom in on your life. We've got this spy camera that's following you. Who would we see today? Who do we see today? Part of hitting my bottom, my adult child bottom, was the realization that I had really been selling myself short in life. Mm. Like I said, that all I had cared about was like finding a guy and getting married. Mm -hmm. And not once had I truly thought what would a fulfilling life for me look like outside of that? And in particular, a career. So at the time I was a CPA, I was working uh, for a big four accounting firm as an auditor. You know, I wasn't miserable, but I sure as hell wasn't fulfilled, you know? And so, yeah, just this realization of the potential within me that I was letting go to waste. And so not only did I like embark on this journey to heal, but I embarked on this journey to like figure out why the fuck I was put on this earth. It was, so that was like 2018. And so then it was just like the next like several years of just like unearthing my true self and kind of coming to the realization or like, what are the things that really make me me and special mm-hmm. um, and tons of just spiritual experiences. And, and honestly, a lot of it was like, I'm so open. Mm-hmm. I'm so open. And I would just have these crazy, these divinely inspired interactions with people where on the bus, you know, in a lift, just where I open up because that's who I am. And I learned that I have this gift that when I open up, that people feel very comfortable opening up back to me. And it would just be like talking to somebody for like 15 minutes and them just being like, I can't believe I'm sharing this with you. Like I've never shared this with anybody. Yeah. So just kind of like realizing what, like, what are my gifts, like my vulnerability, my authenticity, just, yeah, I'm just like unapologetically myself in every Mm -hmm. situation. And so it was just really crazy. Like I, I had this, um, I had this, this reading, this, this spiritual intuitive reading. It was in between Brian number one and Brian number two. It was like a life path reading. And I remember at the time I was so bummed out about what she was saying to me. 
<laughs> I was like, that sounds horrible. Like a lot of it didn't make any sense, but like the stuff that she was, she was talking about, how, like my purpose is spiritual and just like saying all the, and I'm just like, what am I, am I supposed to go like move to like Thailand and like live in like a silent meditation? It just sounded so lame. And uh, I listened to it like two years later and a lot of the shit that she was saying in it, like that made no sense to me at the time, made complete sense. Just talking about my gift of communication and, um, and it was really mind blowing. And then I, I listened to it, I don't know, maybe six months ago. So after I've already started the podcast, yeah, she was like, your gift is communication. You have a way of saying things in a way that people can receive that they can't receive from other people. This lifetime is about the intangibles. You will only be fulfilled if your advocation and your vocation align you will only be fulfilled when your words empower people to change. It will be spiritually and creatively based and it will be in the field of communication. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Can we just like take a look at the complete opposite of numbers and accounting? Yeah, no shit. Oh my God. I know. Wow. Yeah how fascinating that that was your path. It was almost like, what path can I choose that will punish my spirit the most? <laughs> what will- Yeah, well, my dad was a CPA, so that's uh, part of it. Okay. I'm good at it. Like I'm, I'm naturally sure. gifted in that way, but, but yeah. so leading up to the podcast, like for several years, I was just, I knew I was like working towards something I didn't know what the hell it was, but mm -hmm. I felt it and I could feel that like big things were coming, but I also didn't want to fully lean into it because I was afraid of getting my hopes, like, you know, being disappointed, but I could feel it. I felt it. I knew it. Um, I actually had another reading with that same woman, probably about a year before I started the podcast, still didn't have the idea. And she was like, you've done all this work. She goes, but you still have a little bit to sweep up in the basement. She goes, but after you do that, you're going to figure out what you're supposed to do and it's going to happen fast. Things are going to blow up for you fast. I start the podcast two months later. I'm on Dr. Drew's podcast. I saw that. How did that happen? <laughs> so as I told you earlier, I'm a reality TV whore. Yeah. So there's this podcast called Juicy Scoop. It's with the comedian, Heather McDonald. And so she's good friends with Dr. Drew and they were on, and it was right after this Paris Hilton documentary had come out where she talked about getting sent to this therapeutic boarding school. And yeah. her and Heather was like, I've asked my listeners, like if anybody's ever been sent to a school like that and if they turned out okay and nobody ever responded to me. It, it wasn't as harsh as the one that Paris got sent to, but at, at 15, I got sent to a therapeutic boarding school in Maine. And so I, I reached out to her on Instagram. She has like, I don't know, 300,000 followers, 500,000 followers. I didn't expect her to see it. And I just wrote, I was like, hey, just wanted to let you know, I heard that. And I actually got sent to one of those schools and I just started a podcast. I'd love to come on Juicy Scoop. She responds to me. She's like, hey, thanks so much for your message. I actually think you might be a better fit for Dr. Drew's podcast. Let me see if I can get you on. Again, expecting nothing. Two days later, I had an email from Dr. Drew's producer asking me to be on the show. So cool. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And then I had him on and then I had his daughter on and then I didn't realize his daughter had substance abuse issues. She reads out to me like two months after the podcast. She goes, I've been sober for 10 days. Like being mm. on your podcast really planted a seed for me. Wow. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. What, what would you say is 
the dent for you to make in the universe? Well, I just think that there's so many people out there who are clueless that the recurring issues that they are encountering in life is actually a result of like faulty childhood programming. Mm. And I think that there's a ton of people out there who just like me, who were never physically or sexually abused, who have no idea that their childhood impacted them the way that it did. And I think there's a ton of people out there that are in sobriety and they have time under their belt, yet they still have all this shit and they can't figure out what the hell is going on with them, you know? And so my whole thing is like raising awareness for this, but really just being unabashed about it. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing shameful or embarrassing like about any of this shit, anything. We need to be able to laugh at the shit shows that we are. This stuff makes us like who we are. Like it's, it's great. And this, I just think, as I said before, I just think this is such like a beautiful opportunity to heal and grow. And like, we really should view the opportunity to like heal this stuff as a great honor and a great privilege that we get to go inward. We get to go on this like journey to the soul that a lot of people never, never get to to do. Mm -hmm. Like we get to unearth our highest and most authentic selves and clear away all that shit that I think everybody has to an extent. But like I said, it's not causing enough pain and suffering to where they are forced to do the work. Like what a beautiful opportunity here that we're given. Uh, So yeah, it's to embrace our pain, to embrace our entire stories, to live as our authentic selves. um, And just, yeah, to really just own who we are and own our entire stories, especially the really messy shit. Yeah. That's what I hear you saying is owning all of our parts, even the parts that we want to fucking cut off or bury, right? Like, yes, all parts are welcome. All parts. Yeah. I love that. I know that you have, it was created by the ACA, but um, one, tell us, Tell us who the ACA is and then tell us about the laundry list. Okay. So there is a, initially it was adult children of alcoholics. So this was a spinoff from Al-Anon. So Al-Anon is the sister program to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's meant for the, um, you know, spouses, friends, relatives of alcoholics and addicts. And so basically what happened, this was in the late seventies. So there's Alateen, which is like Al-Anon, but for teenagers and uh, these these Alateens graduated like into Al-Anon. They like came of age. What they realized was that the issues that were being discussed in Al-Anon weren't really applicable to like what they had going on. People were talking about, you know, their issues with their alcoholic spouse or their alcoholic child. And what these people were doing, they, they were trying to deal with the aftermath of having grown up in an alcoholic home. So they decided to create their own meetings. And what they realized was that regardless of the specific details of what happened within their home, that there were these certain characteristics and traits that they seemed to have in common. Um, it was not long after that was formed. So that this was around the same time that, you know, the mental health and medical community was was realizing 
the impact that growing up in an alcoholic home has on your entire life. So then there was like a book that was written, not associated with the program called adult children of alcoholics, but it, it was only about 10 years after the word came about that they realized that, that this was not adult child was not something unique to just somebody who grew up in an alcoholic home. And that there are a ton of different types of dysfunctional families that can produce an adult child with these similar traits. So now it is adult children of alcoholic and dysfunctional families. And that's also a reason too, why I wanted to create the podcast, because I still think a lot of people are under the impression that it's just adult children of alcoholics, but it's adult children of alcoholic and dysfunctional families. So the laundry list is the, um, let me pull this up. It's the 14 common characteristics of an adult child. We don't have to, maybe you could put it in the show notes. Yeah, it'll go in the show notes. It's fine. Yeah. But so basically, you know, common characteristics are like people pleasing, you know, needing the approval of others, having an over responsibility, like for other people, um, fear of authority figures. The one that was like the holy shit for me was number 12. And that is. We are dependent personalities who are terrified of abandonment and will do anything to hold on to a relationship in order not to experience painful abandonment feelings, which we receive from living with sick people who are never there for us emotionally. Mm. And when I read that, I was like, holy cow. Another one is we became addicted to excitement. Initially, it was going to be fear, but they changed it to excitement. So yes, that's why I'm obsessed with reality TV and why I want to watch this Amber Heard and why whenever there's some sort of like person getting arrested, like I stop whatever the fuck I'm doing. I just stand there and watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Okay. I understand. Huh. It'd be fascinating, right? We'll have a link, not only to the laundry list, but we'll link it from to your page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a, a pamphlet that I can send you. That's like, am I an adult child? And it has the laundry list. And then it also has 25 questions that might be, that, yeah, might, that might be, be helpful. useful for people. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I'm curious here. You've been in the trauma hiders club. What's been most helpful for you? I, I just think you're really rad. It's really nice to talk <laughs> to somebody that it just feels, you know, like we've known each other. Right. For a long time. Yeah. You I know? feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really comfortable chatting with you feels good for the soul. Good. And it's also good to reflect too, you know, cause I'm still trying to figure this out. You know, like I, this became my full-time gig in February, partially not by choice. Yeah. Tell us about but that. But it really, well, I mean, so once I started this job, I, I mean, I fucking sucked as an employee. Mm. Right. I, I wish I, I could it. be somebody that works hard, no matter what I'm not. So perfectionism is a, tra- a trait of an adult child and mm. it is one that I did not inherit. So I don't have that. Yeah. So like, yeah, I sucked. I, I would try to get myself in gear. I was working, um, I wasn't doing actual accounting anymore. I was doing recruiting for an accounting firm. And I would try to kick myself in gear for a couple of days and it just, and it wasn't fair to them. You know, I didn't feel like I was living with integrity And so, yeah. And so the universe did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And my boss is like, this isn't working. I'm like, you're absolutely right. This is not working. And I knew in the moment that I'm like, okay, like it's, it's time, you know, this is the push off the ledge that I need, you know, and it's going, it's, I mean, it's all coming together. You know, there's, it's interesting how I've been able to, I've really been in an okay place about it. 
obviously there's fear, but yeah, I mean, I had a, I had a listener give me a $7,000 donation. Oh my goodness. Wow. Her father passed away and she said, I want to give you part of my inheritance. You've helped me so much. My goodness. So it's just been really profound. Yeah. If I look at everything that has occurred to get me to where I am, all the experiences and the impact, like I I'm blown away at how this is impacting people. Like the moment that I start to feel any sort of fear, it's like, there's no way that this isn't all going to work out. Like there's no way that's right. everything that has occurred that is to get me here. So it's nice to just like reflect back on that and yeah, feel the gratitude and the appreciation. Cause I feel like I don't lean into that as much as I should. Yeah. Yeah. What I hear is the universe inviting you to trust yourself mm-hmm. more and more, more trust, more love, more self-compassion, all the things. Yeah. And it's amazing to not have a boss. Oh my God. The best, the best. And it's amazing to like, you know, you want to watch the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard yeah. trial. That's, that's your work for today. There actually Fuck. is yeah. without a doubt, there is so much for the work that we do to pull out of that trial. Right? Oh like, yeah. It is adult child gone wild. Let me tell you. That's right. That's right. So <laughs> I often play this game of like, stop the tape. It's almost like, you know, like watching uh-huh. game tape, stop the tape. Uh-huh. What would I want to say to this person right now? What do I, why do I hate that person? What do I see in myself that I don't want to be <laughs> with? Right. You can play that game. Yeah. You can, you can play that game with anything. Oh yeah. It's so good. It's okay. So, so good. tell me <laughs> and our listeners, what in your world are you most excited about right now? So I'm really excited about where this is, this is all going. But so I had a listener reach out to me back in, um, I don't know, maybe February or something. She lives over in the UK. She's a writer. I want to start doing a newsletter. And so I reached out to her. I was like, Hey, would you want to help me with this? Well, lo and behold, she's a Hay House published author. (laughs) I didn't realize it. And so her and I have like teamed up, like she really wants to like write, like write in this space and be in this space, but she doesn't want to be the face of anything. And so it's like the perfect fit. And um, yeah, there's just been like a bunch of people that like the universe has just delivered to me and the sky's the limit. Like, I'm just really excited about to see where this, where it all goes. And I have no idea. I have no idea, but I am, I'm just excited about what what lays ahead. So everything. Yeah. And what else I'm most excited about whenever this verdict comes out, that's what I'm most excited about. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's that, there's that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so I have a belief that there is not Mm -hmm. enough acknowledgement in the world. And I want to acknowledge you for Mm. being here, for being open, for sharing your heart, your radiance, your love, what's raw in you and my inner shit show, the inner shit show, all of it. Yeah. So much of what you've brought today can, I have no doubt is the pathway for so many listeners. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Give acknowledgement to you as well. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the trauma hiders club podcast. 
For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.